We black y'all and it's black y'all <laughs> and we back y'all and it's black like that y'all <laughs> I always love that clip from CB4 shout out to CB4 man shout out to Chris Rock that's the perfect black cinema movie right there comic right there okay I hope y'all are doing well I hope y'all are doing all right okay happy Tuesday it's almost fall time you know I love the fall. I only like summer for like one month, the hottest month. And then after that, I'm ready for it to go. So like, I didn't really care for June or May or anything like that. But when July and August kind of hit, I was like, okay, it's kind of summer now. It's kind of summer now, but I only need like a month, you know, because it, it was disrespectfully hot this summer. Um, the world is, is, is ending <laughs> right before our eyes. So I'm not surprised, but, um, I'm ready for fall. I had the pleasure of going to see Candyman last weekend, and it was dope. Wasn't as great as the original. I'm not going to flex. I honestly think 90s movies just set the bar. I mean, there's not really a whole bunch of movies from any other decade that hit like that, like the 90s do. But it was a very nice attempt. Um, we do have a first female black director that grossed like $172 million at the box office. We got to give her that. We got to give her that. Shout out to you. You did your thing. So that's always an accomplishment. But we do see a lot more circulation of Black-centered media, which I love. I'm trying to get more in tune to a lot of the Black independent companies, so I'm going to take some more time to tap into those. But we are seeing an increase of Black biops, which I love. I am an absolute fan of black biops. I think that they are dope. I think that they are just pivotal in black culture. There's always this conversation with black people on how we don't have culture, right? How we're stuck here in America and we've had to adapt to America, American culture. And that is true to an extent, but within us living here, we've created our own culture whether or not you want to believe that we have our own celebrities you know our own superstars supermodels musicians basketball players people of black importance that helped further pave the culture of black people and one of the most important things about enriching the black culture is telling black stories accurately okay i said accurately black uh, black biops are historical okay okay the reenactments tv movies all of that is another way we can learn about ourselves and about our people okay that enriches us to let us know what the fuck it is we can do on this earth don't let them tell you all you can be as an artist or a basketball player and that's no shade to artists i love artists okay i love artists let's just make that clear but ballerinas, doctors, you know, fitness gurus, uh, guitarists, drummers, uh, uh, political leaders, superstars, you know, you can be whatever the fuck you want to be here in America and be black as fuck doing it, unapologetically black.
So I love biops because they're the realest depictions. They're able to tell our history our way and they're black. Need I say more? What makes a good biop in general, right? So clearly there's criteria that comes into play and you want to make sure that you're following it in order for it to actually be something of substance. There's lots of shitty ass biops out there. Don't get it twisted. And people feel the need to recreate lives of significant people because they want to and then they don't want to do it tastefully and then they lying about shit. It's just messy. Y'all messy. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. So in order for the buyout to be good, in order for it to be of something worth paying the fuck attention to and learning from, you need to have three criteria, right? You need to have accuracy, truthful betrayal, highlighting the bad as well as the good. Now, anytime you're telling someone's story that's high profile, it's very, very touchy. It's very sensitive, right? The family don't want you to say certain shit. The people that worked with them don't want you to say certain things. People want to kind of forget about a lot of the bad things that went down. But no, 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 no. Biographies, biops, biopics, whatever the fuck you want to call it, is an opportunity for you to show the struggles as well as the triumphs. Because that reminds people of them being humane. That reminds people that they, too, have hit low points in their lives. And I think it also reminds people to be thankful for what the fuck you have. We tend to see a lot of musicians, unfortunately, black musicians go down this spiraling, you know, trail of just deceit and lies and hurt and pain and drug induced, you know, violent uh, deaths that sometimes are a direct indicator of them not being able to really live the life that they wanted or to not be appreciative of the life that they had. So you need to make sure whenever you're talking about somebody's life that you don't make it seem like it was peachy game because we know it fucking wasn't. Bad biops. It's, it's fucked up we can't send these motherfuckers to jail. It's fucked up that there's not some type of media law that they have on like a grading scale. Rotten Tomatoes is one of my favorite like uh, I don't know, critics, if you will, because they do a good job of keeping it blunt, keeping it 100. You go there, you see how many tomatoes a motherfucker got. That depends, okay? That That is very dependent on how many people are going to tune into that shit. If you got one damn tomato, bitch, nobody's going to watch that shit. But if you get three, you get four, people going to tune in. So I, I need to come up with the black version. I've been thinking about it, y'all. I've been thinking about it because, listen... Chirac, I'm still not over that. What was that, Spike? What was that? First up in the biop list, I definitely want to make sure that I highlight prominent people who have good biops, right? But in order for us to do that, you got to get the bad. You got to highlight Z bad. So I want to just name two of some of the worst biops I have ever seen cross the light of day. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> First up, we got Flex Washington portraying Michael Jackson in the telefilm Man in the Mirror. 
So this aired in 2004. It was a Canadian-based production. VH1 produced it, released the film, all of that good stuff. This shit was horrible as fuck. I'm drinking right now. I'm going to go ahead and drink before I say what I need to say because it was horrible. Hold up. This was a prime example of inaccuracy, bad casting, <laughs> uh, 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 not being a good portrayal, and just wrong, overall wrong in every shape, aspect, and form. So for one, I don't know if y'all have ever seen Flex Washington before, but the nigga does not look like Michael Jackson. He looks nothing like Michael Jackson. They're not the same height. They're not the same stature. They're not the same skin fucking color. So I don't know who the hell suggested that. No shade to Flex Washington. We love you on one-on-one. Hey, Brianna's dad. <laughs> but this nigga dressed up as Michael Jackson one year on the show and somebody took it upon themselves to go the extra mile and make him reenact him in this biop so that was that then they had this horrible makeup they had like some pancake ass shit on his face and he just looked at stupid it looked like chalk splattered and anytime you touched him it looked like powdered donut shit was gonna come off like why the fuck would you do that and then uh, uh they weren't able to fully elaborate on michael jackson's life they tended to highlight on negative aspects and no good shit which is not correct you should have an equal balance of the bad and the good. Even if things ended bad for the star, at least you're able to highlight a lot of high moments. But this was just straight bad. It was just all bad. Bad as fuck. Just terrible. Just bad. Horrible. Just bad. The acting was bad. The casting was bad. Just bad. They bugging, bro. Next up, we got Aaliyah. The Princess of R&B. Released in 2014. Produced by Wendy Williams. And it aired on Lifetime. Listen, <laughs> I had never wanted to fight a personality person so bad in my life. Like the way I want to knock Wendy Williams ass out. Like, why though? It's crazy and ironic too that I'm even mentioning this with the release of her music now on platforms. If you're a true Pillow Talk fan, you know, last year I did release an episode detailing how, you know, her music hasn't been released and her uncle uh, has been holding on to all of her stuff. And just it's been this whole like mysterious situation when it comes to Aaliyah and her music and her legacy to an extent. So Wendy Williams took it upon herself to tell the story because she felt like she could do it better than hmm, her family. So why not? What's crazy is that Wendy Williams one, did not get the blessing from her family. They highly, highly, highly were against that and objectified to that. And two, the bitch couldn't even use Aaliyah's music because her music wasn't even fucking released on any platforms. What, you gonna YouTube everything? You gonna stream it off YouTube? You know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck? So why would you want to tell a movie about 
a musician, about an artist, and you're not able to use any of their music in the episode. That just seems really fucking stupid. That just seems really, 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 really dumb. So... Wendy Williams took it upon herself to do it anyway. So you have like her singing other shit, snips and bits of music and these like half-ass stage performances. Zendaya was originally casted to play Aaliyah for this and she faced a lot of backlash online. So she decided not to do it. So then Wendy went out and found herself somebody that doesn't look like Aaliyah but would do it. So she decided to hire her. Then we got some nigga that looked like, uh, 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 I don't know, Bow Wow or something like that that's supposed to be R. Kelly or some shit. It, it was just messy. And then they kind of romanticized the whole situation with R. Kelly. Now, you know, R. Kelly's trial has been going on for the longest. I've been getting my notes together because I definitely want to break that shit down ASAP when we get the opportunity to, y'all, because y'all know I got to tell my shit. But this part in his trial, um, we're getting into more details as far as his relationship with Aaliyah and what exactly went down, who helped cover up the supposed pregnancy, who helped get her to fake IDs. So we all know what the fuck went down. You know what I'm saying? And I am not here uh, supporting R. Kelly. I'm definitely fuck R. Kelly. He's a dirty motherfucker. But why would you want to romanticize this relationship knowing how fucked up it was as it was actually happening in real life? You know what I'm saying? Like, that is inaccurate as fuck. So, Wendy Williams felt the need to do that. But that was horrible. Uh, R.I.P. Leah. I don't know why they even would let Wendy Williams produce any fucking thing. But that was horrible. Now, it's only right that we get into the good shit, okay? This is the good shit. Black biops to me are just timeless, okay? And this is my personal list of my top 10 favorite black biops of all time. Hopefully, it will increase over these next couple of years because we do have a lot of amazing biops that are dropping. But these are some ones that I think are just absolutely timeless. No specific order, order. There's only one that I feel is like number one. You know what I'm saying? But the rest of them are just as great, um, just as captivating. So let's get into it. First up, we have... Dorothy Dandridge Biop, starring Halle Berry, released in 1999. I can't stay in Miami Beach. I can't use the front entrance, and I can't speak to the patrons, right? This isn't a tan, Earl. I'm a Negro, a colored girl. You did happen to notice that, didn't you? I noticed. Now listen, if we're going to work together, you can't tiptoe around me. You have to say it straight out. Yes, ma'am. So this movie, to me, was definitely the movie that Holly Berry should have gotten an Oscar for. Um, not Monster Ball. Even though in this movie she was portraying Dorothy Dandridge, who did sleep with a lot of white men during that time, um, I felt like Holly Berry really did justice in just elaborating the importance of black beauty, um, black elegance, and black struggle that was happening during that time. Dorothy Dandridge is who we as black women should be embodying, not Marilyn Monroe. 
And had I not really seen this movie as a younger, you know, child, um, maybe like a teenager, shout out to my dad, he put me on all the movies young. I wouldn't have even known who the who the hell she was. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of women today still don't know who Dorothy Dandridge is, not knowing all the influence and impact that she really had on black beauty. So she is the original Carmen Jones. Um, Carmen was a very, very popular, you know, musical that came out back in the day. And she made the infamous flower in the head with the red skirt, you know, timeless. Um, Larry Belafonte was the co-star, I believe, in that. And it really catapulted her career. Um, but one of the favorite things I loved about this movie was that even though Dorothy Dandridge was this glamorous, you know, star to an extent, she was still a black woman. She was still a black woman. So she still had to pee in fucking Dixie cups and pee outside. And she couldn't swim at these five star resorts where she was going to perform at, you know, down the street the next day. She was still performing in these small little, you know, cotton clubs, in a sense, even though she had been in a major play. She still felt the need to get that acceptance from the white majority, even though the black people were there. So I really, really love Holly Berry for taking on this role. I think she really looked like Dorothy Dandridge, too. So that made it even more captivating. And the cast was just amazing. So if y'all have never seen that, I would highly suggest it. Next up, we got... The Jackson, an American dream TV movie. So we are looking at 1992, okay? This was one of the best TV movies to date. One of the best. Not the best, but one of the best, okay? This originally aired on ABC, but y'all already know VH1 played that shit out like they couldn't do it anymore. And I love them for that. VH1, I love y'all for that. <laughs> this is, to me, the best Michael Jackson story ever. There have been lots of you know, documentaries. I just mentioned a trash ass one that was, you know, came out in 2004. There's been so many that have came out over the years that are supposed to be chronicling Michael Jackson's life, telling his story. Right. But this is the only one that gives an accurate depiction of Michael Jackson and the Jackson five. We tend to forget. Well, I ain't gonna say we, cause you know, black folks, we know what's up with Jackson five, baby, but a lot of people in the world are so 
fixated on Michael Jackson as he was a solo artist that they forgot about him in Jackson 5 and how he was growing up and he was the youngest member and how he was touring the world and experienced all these things how they was you know dirt poor living in a shack and how they had to just uproot their lives there's lots of things that happened in their life as a family before he even became the Michael Jackson so this to me is like the absolute best a uh, uh, depiction like of Michael Jackson and Jackson five, we get to see a story of Jermaine and his father uh, and his mother and how they met and what they went through as a couple trying to raise all these kids. That's accuracy for your ass right there. And that's telling the story how you can't tell it any other way. You know, we can't tell about motherfuckers growing up in, you know, Gary, Indiana, some shit and act like they was, born with silver spoons in their mouth, knowing the type of area that it is. And maybe people didn't know the type of area it was. So that's why they had to make sure they highlighted that shit for you. It always hurts me whenever Joe, uh, Joe killed Ben, when he killed his mouse, he killed his friend. He killed his friend, y'all. Now, Michael Jackson made a song about Ben, and that is one of my favorite songs ever by Michael Jackson. That shit really happened, okay? Now, I guarantee you to go listen to Ben now that I told you that. And you're going to be crying, too. Next up. Why Fools Fall in Love, 1998. And now coming to the stage, one of the all-time greats. Put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen. Frankie Lyman. Uh, let me take care of this. Because if you haven't heard, my record's number three. Yeah! You better let me take care of this, because if you haven't heard, my record's number one. Now, this tells the tragic story of Frankie Lyman, who was the lead singer of the Teenagers, a doo-wop group from the 1950s, 1960s. Starring Lorenz Tay, Holly Berry, Vivica A. Fox, Layla Rashong, just black excellence. Um, nobody won an Oscar for this, <laughs> which is crazy as fuck to me because it really is an amazing biop about black struggles and how you don't know how to evolve as a black person as you're excelling in the world and trying to be so many different things to so many different people. It can weigh on you. So, for one, no shade. Frankie Lyman didn't didn't look like he was all that. I'm not going to lie to you. Didn't look like he was all that. I mean, he was all right. You know what I'm saying? But he was short. He had a big head. He probably was slinging that thing, thing, though. He probably had that pipe. But he actually um, ended up going through a lot of drug abuse he was in the service and he had to adapt to kind of being you know a fallen star and trying to re-emerge himself into culture dealing with different women that you know he loved and or used and he actually ended up overdosing and dying and i don't know maybe like 10 or 12 years after his death um his song started getting you know play again because somebody I guess wanted to use it and three women came out of the woodworks basically stating that they were his wife because his estate was you know up at that point 
So this chronicles um, that whole court situation about the women dealing with Frankie Lyman's estates and dealing with each other, having them cross paths and some of them having known each other in previous years because they were dealing with Frankie at the same time. Um, but again, you get to see Frankie go through being a teenager, being discovered, being a part of this group, going solo, um, getting introduced to drugs, you know, getting chased by mobsters. I mean, there was a scene in a movie where he was high on drugs and he killed, you know, his girlfriend's dog. And I think that was a very real moment in the drug world when you're dealing with somebody that's an addict and the type of shit that they will do. They didn't feel the need to leave that out. You know what I'm saying? That was a very significant point to show how far over the edge he really was. So RIP to him. He was a legend. And that's just an amazing story. Shout out to all of the actors and actresses that were played in the movie because it was fire. Top notch. Definitely one of my favorites. Next up, we got Malcolm X. Malcolm, are you prepared to go to the United Nations at this point and ask that charges be brought against the United States for its treatment of the American Negroes? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the audience will have to be quiet. Please, please. Yes, as I stated earlier, that um, those nations, African nations, Latin nations, Asian nations, are, are very hypocritical when they stand up in the UN and, and denounce the racism practice in South Africa and at the same time say absolutely nothing about the practice of racism here in American society. Now, I wouldn't be a man if I didn't do so. I would not be a man. Are you prepared now to work with some of the other leaders of some of the other civil rights organizations? Yes, we're prepared to work with any groups, leaders, organizations, as long as they're genuinely interested in uh, results, does positive new, results. Does your new beard have any religious significance? <laughs> uh, no, not particularly, but I think that uh, as black people in America strive to throw off the shackles of of uh, mental colonialism, they will also reflect their desire to throw off the shackles of uh, cultural colonialism. I believe that a mental and a cultural uh, migration back to Africa, not necessarily a physical migration, not at this point, but a mental and cultural migration back to Africa, which only means that we reaffirm our, our bond with our brothers over there, would help to strengthen uh, us here in America, black people in America, not only spiritually, but as well as giving us the incentive to solve some of our problems here at, uh, at home. One of your more controversial remarks sometimes back was a call for black people to get rifles and form rifle clubs. Do you still favor that for self-defense? Well, I don't see why that's controversial. I think that if white people find themselves the victims of the same kind of violence that black people have found themselves victims of here in America, and if the government was either unable or unwilling to do anything about it, uh, I think that it would be intelligence on their part to defend themselves. What about the guns, Malcolm? When you tell your people to stop being violent against my people, I'll tell my people to put away their guns. So then you are still an extremist. Get your hands out of my pocket! Damn! Next question. Spike Lee directed this classic in 1992. 
Because first and foremost, it's Denzel for me. It's Denzel for me. I've never, ever, ever been attracted to Denzel Washington. This movie is the only movie. This is the only movie. And Denzel is not ugly. He's gorgeous. Gorgeous black man. But I never was like with the hype. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was like, oh my God, Denzel. And he was like one of the like few black men to be voted like sexiest man alive. And I was just like, I guess. But Malcolm X, it did it for me. <laughs> Ranked in 73 million at the box office. Again, directed and created by the wonderful Spike Lee. This chronicles the life and death of the infamous black leader and figure, iconic legend Malcolm X. So this is very historical. If you are black, okay, if you go outside and they treat you like you black, you check black on, on the, the census list, you identify as black, you buy black products, use black. You need to see this movie. If you haven't seen it, I would highly suggest that you do. This is a part of black culture to the highest degree, to the highest extent. Spike Lee is a legend, first off. Okay. Now, I know Chirac is probably the only one that's a little questionable, but Spike Lee is a true legend. Let's just put it out there. There would not be a Denzel if there was not a Spike Lee. You can say what you want to say, but that's the truth. Denzel was in numerous Spike Lee movies, and they made magic together. And a big part of that magic was that Denzel was able to play characters that he wanted to play and how he wanted to play them. As an actor, performer, media person, anything like that, having free reign to create is so fucking important. And it allows you to be accurate with emotions. It allows you to go the extra mile because you're feeling it at that point. You ain't got to worry about nobody stopping you. So I feel like this was a great pairing. I think that Spike Lee did a great job choosing Denzel. It's so many stars in this movie. And it just really goes into detail again, too, about Denzel, uh, Denzel, <laughs> about Malcolm X's upbringing in addition to his life being Malcolm X up until the point where he died. So one scene, one moment that really, really stuck to me in this movie was when they started discovering practices about the so-called Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And they started discovering all these women that were young and that had all these kids by him that he wasn't taking care of and, you know, promising them all of these things. And that was a very touchy subject because you're talking about religion and you're talking about an iconic figure that lots of people believe in, that lots of people believe in, you know, and, and follow and practice, you know, and take his teachings into their everyday life. And you're deciding to tell that story and put that other side of him out there that maybe a lot of people knew about but didn't want to speak on. I know for a fact that, you know, the Muslims and, and some of the brethren, you know, in, in that religion that follow in his teachings do believe they can deflower young girls and they can you know have children uh, have children with these young girls who don't know any better and that they want to just take care of them to an extent or promise to take care of them in exchange for that virginity and that fertility which is wrong i don't know if you get understood that but that shit's wrong we're talking about young teenage girls we're talking about 15 16 year old girls so I really commend Spike Lee and Denzel for wanting to highlight that in this movie because it's one thing to talk about Malcolm X and talk about his life. But if you were, you know, grown up during that time, um, you know that there was a lot of media, you know, talk 
when it came to him and the Muslim religion and how they banished Malcolm X and all these things. But nobody talks about why, though. You know what I'm saying? Nobody talks about why they banished him, why they turned their backs on Malcolm X, why he walked away from the Muslim nation. This was why. So, like I said, shout out, shout out, shout out to Spike Lee. Next up, we got what's love got to do, got to do it. What's love but a second in emotion? What? Ooh, hit that note. 1993. With the box office open at 56 million, which was definitely booming for the 90s, the Tina Turner story, Biop, it, it's one of those where you got to watch it when it come on. Anytime I see this come on TV, I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and watch it because, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those. Angela Bassett should have won an Oscar for this role. Like, I didn't know that she was not Tina Turner until I was older. Okay, this movie came out when I was born. So, you know, I probably saw it when I was like 10. And I was like, oh, my God, Tina Turner is so beautiful. And she looks like this other actress that I saw. They look like the same person. Oh, my God. Say what you want. I, I was young. I didn't know. But she portrayed Tina Turner so much, so much down to the T. The arms, baby. Okay? You see the arms. She was working out. Triple, quadruple time. Double time. I love to see it. So Lawrence Fishburne doing his thing as Ike. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I ain't never wanted to fight and laugh at a villain so much in my life. I hate him. And then he turned around and say some shit. And I can't help but laugh. Like this motherfucker is crazy. <laughs> this nigga is really. He's really. Did he really just say that? He's really fucking tripping. But this was an amazing, amazing movie. Uh, again, we get to see an accurate portrayal. From the beginning of her life. Uh, to her current life at that time. Miss Dean Turner is still alive and kicking. So shout out to her for escaping. That tumultuous relationship. R.I.P. to Ike. Look what happened. No, I'm just kidding. But I love anytime you do biops for black people, 
black celebrities that you tell the beginning to the end. We want to see the upbringing. We want to see your roots. We want to see where you came from, how you got into what you got into, the things that you experienced, what you had to overcome before you took off. And once you took off, what else the fuck happened? You know, so this movie tells literally step by step. One of the saddest things. Well, I mean, it is sad, but one of the parts that I think really stuck out to me and that's really sad, but stuck out to me was the whole notion that Tina Turner's mother left her when she was a child with her grandmother. And when Tina turned older, I'm sorry, anime, when anime um, turned, I think, 17 or something like that, her mother sent for her to come live with her at that point. So it always made me question back then the whole dynamic of, you know, black women and their daughters, which is a very interesting subject because there's a lot of um, trauma that's rolled up in that. But when she moved there, you know, there was kind of a friction and a tension that was going on to an extent because she was a grown woman at that point. And I don't know if there's a jealousy, if there's a certain inferior feeling that comes over mothers uh, as their daughters mature, a certain uh, aura of, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but um, that to me was very, very interesting. It was very, very interesting. Aside from, unfortunately, all of the beatings that were going on in the movie, which they decided to portray, you know, and Tina wanted that to be shown in her story, which again, I think made it that much more powerful. So if you haven't seen what's love got to do with it, I really don't know where the fuck you've been at. Cause it's literally on TV, like every day. Next up, we got Ray 2004. Okay. Box office, 124 milli. So what Jack Lauderdale have to say? Oh, I clocked him coming out the gate. Man was a two-bit hustler. Oh, I see. Yeah, it turns out that the only hit that Swing Time ever had was Open the Door Richard, which was a joke record. Yeah, what about him recording me? Oh, he'll record you if we pay the freight. Scratch a life, find a thief. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? This. You see, I saw Jack Lauderdale tonight, and he gave me $500 advance on my record. He also said he'd put me on the road with Low Folsom and pay me three times as much as you've been paid. No, that's a lie. Ain't no way he gonna put some blind man on the road. Think about it. I mean, you you need watching out for, and he ain't got the time to look after you the way I've been looking at you. Is that what you've you. been doing? Is he watching out for me? Is that why you get paid double what I do? Who told you that? Well, it's true, ain't it? You and Marlene have been gaming me since I got here. Ray, baby, listen. I've got to listen to you. Look, Ray, I've been, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Then why'd you talk? Um, look, right, right, let's not do nothing stupid. I might be blind, but I ain't stupid. So first off, shout out to Jamie Foxx and Kerry Washington and Regina King for being a black star studded trio. They just made movie magic to the highest degree. So this is a biop of the infamous and soulful legend Ray Charles. And it follows his life again as a child uh, up through his career to some of his lowest points in his life and how he was able to, able to kind of overcome. So this is beautiful. Um, Jamie Foxx actually took some time so that he could learn how to play the piano with his eyes closed. So this movie took a really long time to put into production because he was training himself to do that shit with his eyes closed. And I, I think that's true. 
true dedication, 100%. I love him for that. And Ray Charles was, um, I think he actually met him. I don't know if he was around the whole time during the movie and all of that. Because I know he did pass. Um, I don't know if it was right before this was released or shortly after it was released. But Jamie Foxx did get to meet him. And I didn't mention it before, but I feel like when we do biops, we got to stop waiting until motherfuckers die. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was able to meet this legend and get some feedback from him, kind of learn his aneurysms and learn his voice and learn some things about him so that he could better portray him on the screen. And it's always crazy to me that we wait until somebody died to tell them how important they are, to show the world how important they are, right? We got to stop doing that shit. Nonetheless, this was an amazing movie. One of my favorite parts of Ray would have to be when uh, he made the song Hit the Road, Jack. Um, him and the other woman, I think Melba or something like that was her name, but they were both high off that shit, okay? They were wrong, smoking squares, <laughs> arguing, and out of all that madness just came music gold, you know what I'm saying? And they ended up making this number one hit song that still gets played to this very day that's been done over times to this very day so I, I think that was just that was just crazy i'm not condoning drugs now let me just you know i'm not condoning drugs i'm just saying that was a very uh interesting point of the movie and next up we have the bobby brown story okay dropping in 2018 aired on bet So Woody McClain plays the role of Bobby Brown. He definitely did his thing. Uh, we saw him in the New Edition story originally first, which was a great buy-up as well. But for me, that really catapulted my interest more so in Bobby Brown and his life and everything that went down. Makai Pfeiffer's in here. We got Gabrielle Dennis, who did a great job of playing Whitney. So I feel like this was dope. Um, this was one of those instances where you get to see somebody get their flowers while they're alive. Bobby Brown worked closely with Woody McLean and embodying him and his voice and his responses and his aneurysms. So I really love that. One of my favorite parts about this movie was definitely the internal process between him and Whitney. And how we didn't get to see like the lovey-dovey for the camera type of shit. We were able to see the drug-induced 
him fighting her best friend Robin, arguing with Robin type of thing. And anytime you tell a biography, especially something to a high profile extent, because Whitney Houston is high profile, any way you slice it or dice it, people want to, you know, sugarcoat things and they want to keep stuff hidden and they want to keep it locked away so it can't ever see the light of day. But I feel like Bobby Brown was tired of living that type of life and had already faced so much ridicule throughout the time when Whitney was here that enough is enough. We're going to tell it like it is. And this is how the shit went down. Now, I'm not here to shit on Whitney Houston, RIP, obviously, to Whitney Houston. She's a queen. We thank you. But if you ever watch some of, like, the Showtime series or Showtime versions or just other, like, smaller Whitney Houston docs that they've done, they've gathered information from her family and her mother and stuff like that, you can see that Whitney doesn't necessarily come from a squeaky clean home and that she was introduced to drugs and alcohol and things like that at a very early age. So it's not like she met Bobby Brown and then, oh, my God, the world just crashed. She just finally met somebody that kind of understood her on another level. And baby, opposites attract, but they weren't so different. So one of my favorite parts um, from this movie would definitely have to be his argument with Robin. So if you're familiar with Whitney Houston and her life and, you know, some of her legacy and things like that, then you are aware of her friend Robin, who was one of Whitney's best friends. She was with her for a long period of time in her career. There's always been um, rumors or, you know, quote unquote situations that state that Whitney Houston was bisexual. Um, she was molested as a child by her cousin, who was a female. And from that point forward, um, I guess she always kind of dabbled in that. So people assume that Robin was her girlfriend to an extent. They had a very intimate and close relationship. But obviously, when she started dating Bobby and then marrying Bobby, things changed. And Bobby and Robin actually came to blows numerous times, you know what I'm saying, because of Whitney. So I love that in this movie, they showed, you know, the tension and they showed that, hey, Robin and Bobby wasn't getting along. They didn't like each other. And this is what the fuck went down. So I definitely, definitely love that. If you haven't seen it, I would highly suggest that you check that out. Next up, we get into Judas and the Black Messiah, released this year, 2021. I'm free. I need everybody to be there to me. I am a revolutionary. They can't never stop the party unless they stop the people. Way too high. Way too high. I'm high off the people. I'm high. I'm high. If you're there to struggle, you're there to win. If you're there not struggle, then goddamn it, you don't deserve to win.
So Judas and the Black Messiah details the impactful but short life of the influencer and iconic Fred Hampton. Okay, we have Daniel Kalua playing him, uh, Lakeith Stanfield playing the snitch, Bill O'Neill. Um, we have a lot of other black prominent stars that are throughout the film, but Fred Hampton was an impactful and powerful um, leader and influencer for black people, especially in regards to the Black Panther Party and providing resources for the black community. So, of course, you know, Fred Hampton was <laughs> assassinated, murdered, killed okay by the fbi he was killed this was a, a planned assassination plan hit hit you know on his life and he was only 21 years old when he died so the mother of his child was there with him when he died um in the movie there's a scene which is probably one of my favorite parts um just showing the impact and how scary and how tragic it was really and just how nasty they were um where you know they shot up his apartment because they did come to his apartment to his place of residence and shot him and his 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 you know group up and his people up while they were sleeping laying down like dogs and she was pregnant and you can see her hovering over his body trying to protect him um, at that time so it's very impactful and I think a lot of younger black people need to be aware of Fred Hampton and be aware that you know there was a time where black people got along with each other and we weren't so hell-bent on competing and outdoing each other where we actually were trying to help and encourage and inspire and we need that right now you know what i'm saying we need more strong black men that are willing to be leaders for our black people and it's scary and i think that fred knew when he got into that shit that he was gonna die because once you get in it i mean <laughs> you start making strides and influencing a nation they're gonna want to take you out but you can't just stop you can't just say okay i'm no longer fred hampton today i'm gonna just go back to doing my regular life and that's that no you were called upon and you have to live in your purpose and live in your truth so if you haven't seen it i would highly suggest that you check that out definitely one of my favorite newer biops that have came out and i think that they did an amazing job capturing the essence of fred Next up, we have 12 Years a Slave, dropping in 2013. Are you an engineer or a nigger? Are you an engineer or a nigger? Let the man say his piece. It's a scheme. Plenty of engineers have schemed similarly. The passes are too tight. I reckon I'm more than 12 feet at that most narrow. Wide enough for a tub to traverse if a team of niggas cleared it out. And you know what of transport and terraforming? I labored repairing the Champlain Canal on the section over which William Van Northwick was superintendent. With my earnings, I hired several efficient hands to assist me and entered into contracts for the transportation of large rafts of timber from Lake Champlain to Troy. Well, I'll admit to being impressed, even if you won't. Collect the team and see what good you can do. All right, you good? Clear it out. Three. 
Platt, you are a marvel. <laughs> what took you so long? <laughs> thank you, Master Foy. Oh, thank you. So this is definitely one of my favorite historical black biops for sure. Top two. Okay, no cap. My, fir my first one would have to be Rosewood. But 12 Years a Slave, um, again, premiered in 2013, had a box office opening of 187.7 million. Black trauma sales, black trauma sales, okay? Telling the life and story of Solomon North, who was, in fact, a real freed black man who wrote down his memoirs in his autobiography, which was published in 1853. And in fact, it is true that he was a free black man living up north with his family in a prestigious job in a prestigious setting. And he was captured and taken, uh, taken back down to the south where he was put into slavery and he was stuck as a slave for 12 years. Can you imagine, you know, being a free black man during that time it, right now being a free black man today waking up or a black person waking up going outside uh, uh putting on the clothes that you want to put on let's just start there putting on clothes you want to put on eating what you want to eat kissing your family hugging them spending time with them for however long you want to leaving your house not knowing that this would be the last time you would see them for 12 years this is the last time you get to pick out your clothes for 12 years. This is the last time you get to cook and eat what you want for 12 years. This is the last time you are free because you're going to be in slavery for 12 years. That is mind-blowing to me. Um, Chiwetel Ijofo played Solomon. I feel like I butchered that name. I'm sorry, bro. Michael Fassenbender played Master Epps. Lupita played Patsy. Brad Pitt played Brass. And Sarah Paulson, who everybody seems to love, plays Mrs. Epps. So I'm, I'm no, no shade to Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson gives me Karen vibes, though. I'm just going to throw it out there. She gives me Karen vibes in real life. Um, I don't know how she operates in the real world, but she takes a lot of interesting roles. So uh, there's that. One of my favorite parts of this movie would have to be when Solomon is speaking to this other slave woman um, about wallowing in despair. So, you know, during that time, they sold groups of slaves and had slave auctions and, you know, they would buy three or four or five slaves and take them back to their plantation. This woman and her children were separated and she ended up being sold on the same plantation that Solomon was being sold to. And from the moment she got there, she was wailing and crying and crying every single day, crying about her kids because they had been separated. So she didn't know where they were, you know, where they were going to end up. And she just cried every day. So this happened, I think, for like two, three months or something like that. While for however long they had been there. And Solomon just, you know, basically told her ass, enough is enough. Why do you continue to wail and cry for your children and they're not here? 
And Solomon took it upon himself to explain to her how wallowing in despair, crying over spilt milk, in a sense, is not going to change the outcome of the surroundings. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to live so that I can get the fuck up out of here, basically. And to me, that is really a pillar when it comes to black people and black culture and why we're able to overcome so many things we are built on survival our slaves our slave ancestors okay have reiterated that to us over and over again many times through all the things that they've endured and had to endure that maybe were questionable or we weren't certain of it's because they had to survive okay Survival is embedded in black people. Any way you slice it and or dice it. So if you haven't seen 12 Years a Slave, I would highly suggest that you check that out. <laughs> Lastly, but not least, we have the Tim Temptations, okay? The Temptations TV miniseries debuting in 1998. Boy, Norman just kept whipping us and whipping us the other day, huh? I don't think I can get any better, though. That ain't the way I see it. Oh, yeah? Well, hit me up. Well, for one, you missed a very important meeting. Not to mention our last few sessions, I'm not even going to count the rehearsals. And it's probably because of all this crap you keep shoving up your damn nose. Well, maybe I don't need as much rehearsal as some other folks. David, this can't go on. What you got to say, Blue? That's right, Otis. Whatever you say, Otis. Now, David, it's like this. Now, either you're going to straighten up, or we letting you go. You all right with that? I'll miss you. But not if you're hurting the group. Hurting the group? I'm the best thing ever happened to this damn group. Nobody's bigger than the group. Y'all ain't stupid. I'm the one selling the records. They coming to see me. They coming to see the temptations. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. So this originally aired on NBC. Of course, we didn't see it on NBC. We saw it on VH1 first. BET played it a couple times, but VH1 was the GOAT. I don't know who y'all had in programming, you know what I'm saying, back in 2010, 2013-ish. But you need to bring them back because they knew that we had certain classics that we needed to see on the regular. This, to me, is a Christmas movie now. Like, every year for Christmas, I watch this damn movie. You can't... I, I, I'm not here to argue with you. It's Christmas movie. That's when you know some shit is good. When the holiday come around, you done th thrown it into the mix. Okay? <laughs> this TV miniseries uh, is the true and most accurate depiction of The Temptations. One of the most legendary and iconic male black R&B groups of all time. 
my father loved the temptations he was a fanatic and he is the one that made me watch this over and over and over again until i was literally in my room singing i wanna love no but this is fire though the temptations were one of the biggest groups to come out of motown and they really you know put a blue blueprint down when it came to groups in the music industry and what was needed to actually be a group having the right look the right sound having everybody sing the right song you know uh the dancing i mean they had a whole two-step that they would do from the moment that they started performing you know up until they couldn't they always had a routine down so this tv miniseries is just the the best biopic depiction like (laughs) i don't know how else to tell you that we get to see the coming together of them and how they started how oldest started the group their first record deal which was not with motown um well their first management deal um how they started performing together their dance groups their sickness the arguments you know um dealing with the road how they had to evolve over the years with sound um being an older kind of doo-wop group initially i mean it's just so many things that encompass it and of course you know the temptations were around during a time of segregation you know so they were able to see a transition from you know black and whites being on opposite sides of the room with the rope in between to the them being able to dance together and there was no rope so that must have been very powerful for them as a group to see uh something like that um what's really dope though is now that we get to another point of um kind of seeing like historic moments where they kind of break down a lot of barriers that otherwise wouldn't really be like explored had they not talked about the shit i mean they use like their music sometimes to explain stuff um in addition to different political statements that just mattered for sure and of course you got the infamous leon okay who played david ruffin who just absolutely positively did his shit i think he played david ruffin better than david ruffin could be david ruffin i don't know if that's possible but i feel like it is okay i think there was ever a mini series that should have won an oscar or or emmy it's that leon should have won that Leon need his flowers because he's been around for a long ass time. But we get to see how the group fell apart. We get to see them go through deaths. I mean, it's like three hours or some shit like that. But it's worth it. You know what I'm saying? It's worth it. One of my favorite parts of the movie. That's hard because there's so many favorite parts. But it would have to be when Paul Williams started getting sick. So Paul Williams, I think, was the first member to die from the Temptations. And there was a lot of, you know, stuff surrounding his death. People were saying that he was murdered. Um, The movie depicts it as suicide. Um, Paul was found with a gunshot wound. Um, But all the evidence didn't necessarily indicate that he killed himself. Um, Paul was dealing with lupus and, you know, during that time back in the 1950s and, you know, things like that, they didn't have a lot of information on lupus, let alone for a black person that has it. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you're going to get shittier treatment. So he became an alcoholic. 
And you see in the movie, like, this progression of him going from somebody that used to drink milk on the school bus. He was drinking milk on the school bus to turning into drinking, you know, hard liquor um, just to make sure that he could perform and to make sure that he could survive. So there's a point in the movie right before he dies where um, he sings this song for once in my life. And Paul Williams performed that song live in real life um, before he died. That was his last TV performance. And they're having like a celebration in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Everybody drinking, kicking it. And of course, you know, when you're in a band, you're going to sing any chance you get. And Blue decides to hop on the piano. Paul starts singing and he's just drunk, kind of falling over. But the song is so powerful because it dictates how almost lost in the sense he is and how thankful he is at the same time for having people that love him and understand him exactly the way he is and he's you know like for once i can say this is mine you can't take it and he just gets all emotional and falls over and it's just like lord paul oh save him put your hands on him jesus put your hands on him so that's one of my favorite parts. Anytime I go watch the real performance, I instantly start crying and just getting sad because I know that at that time in his life, he was so sick and he was dying in a sense and he just wanted out. So Temptations will always be my favorite black biop to date. I absolutely love that shit. I feel like <laughs> they they knew what the fuck they needed to do. The accuracy, you know, the length of the movie the blackness um it's all there for me and of course you got the music i mean the temptations you know my girl it's always going to be a banger okay it's always going to be a banger always going to be a banger and that papa was rolling stone they they wasn't ready for that so it's only right that i list some honorary mentions we definitely got to throw selena in the mix because hey j-lo did a thing and selena was really that girl she was really that girl that is an amazing biop that is actually one of my favorite biops as well it just has to be honorary because you know it ain't on the list it, it, it ain't black so i had to put it on the honorary we're still waiting on marvin gay biop because hello marvin gay we still need a teddy p biop shaka khan Damn it, Lil Wayne, at this point, every artist that I interview on my show, like 80% of them always talk about how influential Lil Wayne is. Can we give him a real, you know, can we give him a real, you know, he up there now, Wayne almost 50. (laughs) No, but I appreciate you. This is my list. And of course, if you know some black biops that I don't know that I should see, you let me know so I can view them. And give you that feedback that you need. Always bringing y'all the real when it comes to black culture. Sending love and light as always, man. Peace out.